Is there a role for oral hypoglycemic agents in the treatment of gestational diabetes? Do women with normal glucose tolerance on insulin have an increased risk of neonatal morbidity over that of non-diabetic women? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor of obstetrics and gynecology at Northwestern University. This is Diabetes Month here on XM157. Our guest today is Dr. Thomas Moore, professor and chairman of the Department of Reproductive Medicine, University of California School of Medicine at San Diego. He is a nationally recognized expert on the diagnosis and treatment of diabetes and pregnancy. Welcome, Dr. Moore. Thank you. Well, the first question, of course, is the first question. Is there a role for oral hypoglycemic agents in the treatment of gestational diabetes? Well, I would have to say, and I think many of the listeners recognize, that oral agents have accumulated a pretty bad reputation over the past several decades. But I think without question, the word is now that these agents have a place in the treatment of gestational diabetes and in some instances definitely provide equivalent results in terms of how the newborn and the mother get through the pregnancy and in some cases, maybe even better. Well, how did they get their bad reputation? The major oral agents that we had until recently were sulfonyl urea compounds. These agents, first of all, crossed the placenta and uh, had a very great propensity to cause maternal hypoglycemia. And, of course, we don't think that's good for mother or fetus. There were a few anecdotal reports of congenital anomalies associated with these, but it was really about the profound maternal hypoglycemia and what would be presumed to be a similar effect on the fetus. So what are the agents nowadays that are probably safe? Well, the only agent that we really know of now that's safe is a substance, a drug called glyburide. We thank Oded Langer for doing a placental perfusion study. This is the sort of the latest in, the, in this long line of sulfonylureas, and this particular agent is intensely protein-bound in the maternal circulation, so it really doesn't cross the placenta. In fact, the amount found in the fetal circulation is about 1% or less of what is found in the maternal circulation. So given that effect, Dr. Langer convinced the Institutional Review Board to let him conduct a randomized trial of glyburide oral agent versus standard insulin uh, treatment in gestational diabetes. Did he publish his study yet, or is it ongoing? Yeah, it was published in the New England Journal. It showed equivalent outcome for both mothers and babies, and that, you know, the things that people are really interested in are obviously, first of all, would be how big the babies were and how many of them were so-called macrosomic, and those numbers were equivalent, and the study was powered adequately to assess those differences. There was no difference in stillbirth and neonatal mortality, although the study wasn't large enough to study that. But the study also was large enough to study maternal hypoglycemic episodes, which interestingly enough were less common in women taking the oral agent than women who were taking insulin. So why don't we just switch to it? Well, first of all, I think the answer coming from the American Diabetes Association until recently was, as well as the American College of OBGYN, is that there's only one randomized trial out there. We need more evidence. The fifth international workshop conference 
on gestational diabetes just published its proceedings in diabetes care, sponsored by the American Diabetes Association. In that conference, uh, all of the other studies subsequently, which have been largely cohort studies, comparing cohorts of women using Gliburi compared to cohorts of women doing insulin, not randomized, really confirmed what uh, Dr. Langer showed. And so now there have been accumulated you know, almost a thousand women who have been reported on in the literature who have taken gliburide compared to insulin takers. In most instances, the incidence of maternal hypoglycemia is less with the oral agent, and the glucose values are at least equivalent to, and in several studies, the glucose values that women are able to obtain with the oral agent are actually lower than women were obtaining with insulin treatment. So perhaps in the coming years, this will be more and more common. And I think it's lack of familiarity with this. And most obstetrician gynecologists have either a, a trusty endocrinologist who is, helps manage their patients with diabetes, and those individuals are not that comfortable with pregnancy and glyburide, although they have used a lot of oral agents over the last 10 or 15 years, and so they're not as comfortable with it. And if the obstetrician, him or herself, was probably trained before the era of these oral agents, and so they're not comfortable with it either. So it'll just take some time, I think, until residents become attendings and go into practice, and in their practice, they've been using it. If you look at East versus West, there's no question there's very much more adoption of glyburide in the West than there is in the East, but just I would say if you take a show of hands of how many people are using glyburide in a diabetes conference, it's gone from like 10 to 15 percent about seven or eight years ago now to 70 percent. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Thomas Moore, a nationally recognized expert on gestational diabetes. We're discussing the controversies in the future management of gestational diabetes. What about inhaled insulin? I think inhaled insulin was just approved by the FDA, if I'm not mistaken. Has there been any experience with that in pregnancy? To my knowledge, there hasn't been, and the biggest problem is the development that occurs very commonly with inhaled insulin of the development of anti-insulin antibodies. So the concern is if the mother develops anti-insulin antibodies, they're going to be passed to the fetus, and we don't really know what that effect will be. The idea of being able to use inhaled insulin, which would be easier than pulling out a needle and drawing up some insulin or using an insulin pen to inject the insulin, it sounds pretty attractive. I think the more ways that we find that people with their busy lifestyles can incorporate real-time adjustments to their glucose values by some form of medication that doesn't have to be done on some difficult schedule, uh, we're going to get better control. Uh, we find that women utilizing an insulin pump have uh, really terrific opportunities for control because if one finds the glucose prior to a meal to be unexpectedly high, you can add two units to the amount of insulin you need to give, punch it into that little tiny pump the size of a deck of cards that's sort of hidden in the clothing, and nobody at lunch really knows that that happened. So I think these kinds of solutions are going to be coming out more and more. Do other countries manage gestational diabetes significantly different from us, that is Europe, Japan, Australia? Yes, they do. And a lot of this is related to their own prevalence. The prevalence of gestational diabetes in a lot of Europe until recently was so low, it really was not on everybody's radar screen. 
now it's become much more of an issue so that a lot of the U.S. insights into managing very insulin-resistant people are now being transmitted certainly to Europe and South America. Um, in Asia, there are very insulin-resistant populations. In the Pacific Islanders, for example, are very insulin-resistant. We talked about Asian Indian people. For them, the only thing different there is the pan screening that we do in the United States is not necessarily done there, so that it's kind of not really knowing how big the problem is. What do you see for changes in the management of gestational diabetes or even in a diagnosis in the next five to ten years? One change that probably needs to happen is the issue of dealing with one abnormal value on the three-hour glucose tolerance test. The diagnosis of gestational diabetes to justify all the time and extra effort and everything else requires two abnormal values. However, multiple studies have now shown that one abnormal value on a three-hour glucose tolerance test, the infants have an equally untoward outcome. In other words, the shoulder dystocias are basically the same. The increased incidence of cesarean is the same. This population from a baby performance point of view is really the same. But the idea of including all these individuals with one abnormal value and, you know, increasing the diabetes industry, if you will, even further, the big bodies and the ADA and, and so forth are going to have to think about because there's no question that uh, this is a very high-risk population. I guess that was actually one of my questions. I don't understand why those women aren't treated, especially since, as you say, there's growing evidence that their uh, babies do the same as those diagnosed with gestational diabetes. You know, I don't think in that population we necessarily need to do regular glucose checks, but what we do is we give them all dietary counseling, and I think, you know, they have impaired glucose tolerance, so they need a dietary intervention. And then I think that because of the risk of shoulder dystocia and so forth, we obtain an ultrasound at 36 weeks in these babies. Now, I want to make it very clear that a 36-week ultrasound is not totally worthless, but pretty close <laughs> to worthless in terms of its prediction of fetal weight. And even if you use other tricky sort of analyses of what you see there in the 36-week ultrasound, an abdomen that's way much bigger than the head and so forth, even with all those little fine tunings, I think it's very clear we're not lowering or averting anything by getting those 36-week ultrasounds. And in fact, a couple of studies have shown by doing them, we increase the C-section rate without improving outcome. And nevertheless, I think the state of affairs in the United States at present is that probably knowing in the grossest case where a baby is way out of round and the abdomen has significant truncal fat, I think uh, is an important piece of information. But someday, I think we, you know, we need to consider, and I do with patients, for example, someone that had gestational diabetes in a previous pregnancy and now has one abnormal value, I'm going to ask that patient to check her blood sugars. Somebody else who's got other risk factors, you know, her sister had gestational diabetes, she had one abnormal value, she's obese, I'm going to ask her to check her blood sugar. So I think those one abnormal value cases need to be interpreted against the background of the patient's risks. Our last take-home message for our audience, what would you like to see the medical profession improve in terms of either the screening, the diagnosis, or the management of gestational diabetes in the United States in the coming years? What is a best area for improvement for all of us? To me, the thing that helps me practice every day are the studies that were done in the Pima Indian population, which were very insulin resistant, showing that in pregnancies in which gestational diabetes occurred, 
And the same mother with a previous pregnancy where there absolutely was not gestational diabetes, the outcomes of those children were not only different at the point of birth, but they were different at ages 11 and 18 in terms of childhood and adult obesity and the onset of childhood diabetes. So I have little question in my mind that aggressive normalization of glucose values in women who have gestational diabetes is probably going to set that child up for a healthier future. So I would like to see our specialty embrace the idea that we need to find these children at risk for diabetes and obesity later in life and get them started on the right metabolic path. Frankly, I think that's an excellent summation and bit of advice during Diabetes Month here on XM157. I want to thank Dr. Thomas Moore, who has been our guest. We have been discussing controversies and the future of diabetes management during pregnancy. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We would really like to hear from you. For comments and questions about this program or suggestions for other shows, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening.